0: Our works are not the cause of our salvation, but they are evidence that we've received salvation. The cause of our salvation is the finished work of Christ, His life, death, and resurrection. That is the cause of our salvation. But if you've truly received the finished work of Christ, there will be evidence in your life. And that evidence is that you follow Jesus. In fact, search search the New Testament from beginning to end and you will not find one person who truly knows Jesus that does not also follow Jesus. This week I was thinking about the thief on the cross. You remember in Luke 23, there was a thief on each side of Jesus on the cross and in his dying breaths, he submitted his life to Jesus. Someone who, you know, he may have lived his whole life in rebellion against God. But even that thief on the cross who in his dying breaths uh, submitted his life to Jesus, even he had a lot of evidence that he was a follower. Remember the other thief was, was blaspheming Jesus and he rebuked him. And he said, you know, we deserve to be on this cross. He doesn't. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he showed repentance. He showed faith. You won't find anyone in the Bible, anyone in the New Testament, who truly knows Jesus, that does not follow Jesus. We tend to try to separate those things, but they're inextricably linked. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this parable. The take-home message is this. To know Jesus is to follow Jesus. To know Jesus is to follow Jesus. And we're going to refer to Jesus here as King Jesus because that's what he refers to himself as in this parable. And King Jesus gives us three requirements Uh, This morning, he gives us three requirements. We need to be ready when he returns with these three requirements. And here's requirement number one King Jesus requires a personal relationship. Look at verses 31 through 33 with me. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And so Jesus here uh, refers to himself as the Son of Man. Now that might seem like kind of a weird title to us today, but to the Jewish audience in that day, the Son of Man was a clear statement That Jesus was the Christ. Okay, this is the the messianic title way back in the Old Testament in Daniel. Jesus is calling himself the Christ. And he says when he returns, he will sit on his glorious throne. That's a clear reference to himself as king. And it says that all the nations will be gathered to him. Now that word nations, it basically means peoples. Okay, people groups. Groups of people across this world. It doesn't seem like a voluntary gathering. It seems like it's a mandatory gathering, right? Everybody's brought before him. And what I find interesting is uh, as the nations, as the peoples are brought before him, uh, Jesus doesn't separate them by peoples, he separates them by people, by individuals. So Jesus didn't take one nation and say, hey, this is the best group of people on earth. You know, you're all on the right. Hey, this nation, not so sure. This one's on the left. Or this church, great church, they're all on the right. This church, not a fan, on the left. That's not what he does. He reaches into every group of people and takes the individuals that truly know him. That's why it says in Revelation that every tribe and nation and people and language at the end of time will worship the Lord because God has people all across this world that truly know him. But what Jesus is challenging us with this morning is do you have your own relationship with Jesus? You can't ride the coattails of your Christian parents into heaven. You can't ride the coattails of Prairie Bible Church into heaven. As Pastor Craig often says, God doesn't have any grandchildren. You won't go to heaven just because your grandpa was a preacher, right? That's what he says. And you know, as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking about my dad. Okay, my dad, he's Italian-Irish, and he grew up near Chicago, and he grew up in a Catholic home. And he had great, wonderful Catholic parents. And I know that my dad had a reverence for God growing up. He was a really good basketball player. And what he would do is he told me every game day he'd go to Mass (laughs) because he wanted to have a good basketball game. Unfortunately, a lot of us probably treat God like that. But the point is, I know that my dad believed in God. He had a reverence for God. But I don't know that he had a personal relationship with God yet. And when my dad was a young man, uh, he met a friend who introduced him to Jesus who shared the gospel with him, and it's like the scales fell from his eyes, and, and like his whole world changed. He started to go to Bible study, started to be in church, and started to realize that Jesus died for him, right? You know, I grew up going to church. I grew up in a little Presbyterian church uh, in Peoria, Peoria, Illinois, and I grew up in, in the summers at Maranatha Bible and Missionary Conference where preachers would come for a week and. Um, You know, I grew up going to VBS Bible camp. My parents put me in Christian school, pre-K to 12th grade, and I'm thankful for that. But it wasn't until a little bit later that I realized I need to have my own relationship with Jesus. When I stand before God, I'm not going to stand before God with my family or with my church or with my Bible camp. I'll stand before God on my own. And he'll either know me or not know me, right? I'll either know him or not know him. And so I just want to challenge you this morning. Do you have your own relationship with Jesus? You know, when we have people get baptized here, a question that I ask them is when you stand before God, if he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And people are kind of taken aback by that question. And you'll hear all types of things like, well, pretty good person i try to do more right than wrong well let me tell you something when you stand before god if he asks you why should he let you into heaven if you pull out your resume it's going to be a really short interview because none of us have the resume to get into heaven not your pastor not pastor craig not you none of us we all fall short of the glory of god but here's what you do say i know that i have no right to enter heaven But I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. And I believe he came here to earth and he lived a perfect and sinless life. And he died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. And on on the basis of his righteousness, God, please let me into heaven. That's the right answer. That's the gospel. And this is where we have to start. If you've never made that decision, let me make it really simple for you. It's repentance and faith. It's believing in that historical reality that this man, Jesus, the Christ, walked this earth, lived a perfect and sinless life and went to that cross for you. Died on that cross not for anything he'd done but for what we had done to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose again on the third day and when you embrace Christ and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I give you my life. Be my Lord. I'm telling you, you'll never be the same again. And that is where you have to start. Because if you haven't done that, you need to do that this morning. Because King Jesus requires a personal relationship. Here is requirement number two. King Jesus requires an evident faith. An evident faith. We said at the beginning of this message that uh, it is Jesus and what he has done that is the cause of, of our salvation but if you have embraced that cause you'll have some evidence and that's what jesus is going to get into in verses 34 through 40 so look at verses 34 through 40 as jesus addresses those on his right then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world don't we all want to hear that message And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Note the surprise in their voice. And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Now that phrase, least of these, Very common phrase. But do you know what I didn't notice as much before I I studied this passage? The two words that follow it. My brothers. The least of these, my brothers. Now that phrase, my brothers, uh, it is a very, very common Greek phrase for fellow Christians. It means my brothers and sisters in Christ. It means all of us in the family of God who belong to Christ. And so what Jesus is saying here is you really know me? well, do you have any evidence that you're following me? And here's the evidence I'm looking for. How do you treat fellow Christians? How do you treat fellow Christians? How do we treat each other at Prairie Bible Church, right? And you know, that might sound kind of strange, but this is actually a major theme uh, in the Bible. In fact, in 1 John 3.10, you'll see it on the screen. John said, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his, what? Brother. Nor is the one who does not love Christians. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, is Jesus saying we don't love everyone? Of course not. In Galatians 6.10, it says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone but especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Do good to everyone, but especially do good to Christians. You know, one of the most interesting things in our society, uh, especially growing up as a sports fan, uh, a basketball coach's son, is, you know, you can meet someone anywhere, and sometimes I'll meet parents, and they might seem like the most sane, normal, civil people. You just carry on a normal conversation with them. And then you can be at their daughter's soccer game that weekend, and they turn into an absolute maniac, (laughs) screaming at other people's parents of their kids and trying to one-up everyone. You know, a ref makes a bad call, and they run on the field and tackle the ref. You know, I know you've seen the YouTube videos. But it's just this weird thing, like for parents, right? It's like you're totally normal, but when someone attacks your kid, oh man, it's game on, right? Or maybe, you know, your kid has a big test and your kid's like, yeah, mom, I got it. Yeah, dad, I got it. And you're like dying inside. You're like sweating bullets for your kid or your kid's performing in a play and you're just like, your stomach's in knots, even more than if you were up there. You want to know something? That's how Jesus feels about his people. Jesus, now he's not going to run on a field and tackle a ref, (laughs) but that's how Jesus feels about you times 100, right? Parents who love their kids react that way. Jesus loves us a 100 times better and more than you even love your kids. And that's, that's what he's saying here. I love my people. And if you love me, you'll treat my people well. You know, Jesus constantly associates himself with his people. In fact, maybe you remember the story of Saul of Tarsus who became Paul, Right? Saul of Tarsus was persecuting Christians, throwing Christians in prison. And one day on the road to Damascus, he got hit with a bright flash of light. And there was Jesus. And he said, Saul, Saul, you do not want Jesus to say your name twice. It means you're in big trouble. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting Christians? He said, why are you persecuting me? Maybe Saul thought to himself, when did I persecute you? Well, he's saying, to persecute my people is to persecute me. Jesus associates himself with his followers. Jesus said in John 10, he said, whoever receives you, receives me. And then he said, whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. You see that close relationship Uh, You know, it's like the father sent his son and he said, if they really know me, they'll know my son. Well, Jesus is saying, if they really know me, they'll know my people. And they'll treat my people well. How can you say you're a Christian if you don't love Christians? That's the evidence Jesus is talking about. And it's really important evidence for us here because we know in church, churches don't get destroyed from the outside. They get destroyed from the inside, don't they? I mean, Satan, he wants to destroy us. He wants to take our love from each other. And Jesus is saying, love each other. It's evidence that you really know me. King Jesus requires a personal relationship. And King Jesus requires an evident faith in the form of how we treat others and especially Christians. Now here is requirement number three. And this is where things get Really serious. I was looking at uh, these parables in Matthew we've been covering, and this is the fifth straight parable that Jesus has talked about hell. And this is really where this seriousness culminates. I mean, it really builds into this moment before Jesus goes to the cross. So we're going to talk about hell this morning. Because if we say we preach the whole counsel of God and we don't talk about the hard parts, then we're not doing a good job here. King Jesus requires a permanent judgment. That's the third point. King Jesus requires a permanent judgment. Now in verses 41 through 46, Jesus turns to those on his left and he addresses them. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. And He will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So just as that first group of people who were saying, Lord, Lord, truly were of the Lord, truly knew Him, truly followed Him, these didn't. They had no evidence. And the Bible says, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Many of them who say to me, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Bible says. There was no evidence. They didn't follow Jesus. And you know, Jesus talked a lot about hell. It's actually one of the most shocking things. When I really started to read the Bible a lot, realizing how much Jesus talked about hell. Because you ever read the Bible and think, man, are we talking about this? This is in here. Do we talk about it? This is part of that. I mean, Jesus talked a lot about hell. Now, he did it because he loves us and he doesn't want us to go to hell. So let's talk about hell. Look at Matthew 7, 13 and 14. And this is where Jesus addresses this. And he said this. He said, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Hell and heaven, wide and narrow, easy and hard, many and few. One way is the wide way. You might call it broad way. And you can't get to heaven going down Broadway. You get to heaven through the narrow way, the narrow gate. You know, I would like to think that we are a welcoming church. I know we try to be a welcoming church. I know I felt welcomed when I first came here. But we're not a wide road church. You can be a welcoming church and not a wide road church. We're a church of the narrow way. Did you know that the first Christians were called the way? That was their name, the way? Well, a more, I guess, clearer, more descriptive name, maybe not as punchy, would have been the narrow way because that's what it meant. The reason they were called the way is because in that Roman society and culture, everything went. You do whatever you want. You worship whatever gods you want. And here comes this really exclusive people saying, actually, there's one way to heaven. And his name is Jesus. Because Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are you on the narrow way? Easy and hard. That's another contrast. Easy and hard. You know, the the wide road is where you just end up. It's where you just end up just following the flesh. Following the natural Man, following the way that the things are in the world, it's just easy, right? You just end up there. That's why so many people are on it. But the narrow way is hard. Make no mistake about it. Following Jesus is not easy. It involves cost and sacrifice and suffering. And many people here could tell you that. It is worth it. But it's not easy. And Jesus didn't say it was easy. He said his yoke is easy, but he didn't say following him would be easy. Are you willing to go through following him even when life gets hard? Because that's what it means to be a Christian. Many and few. That's the third contrast. Many and few. The reality is that many people, think of all the people you interact with, family, extended family, workplaces, community, friends, people you drive past, people you walk past on the street. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying many, maybe even most. They're on the wide road. They're on the wide road. Few are on the narrow road. You know, I hear people sometimes joke about hell. Say things like, I'll see you in hell. Listen, I don't think we should joke about hell. And you don't want to go to hell. Jesus said it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping. Sobbing. Because it's permanent. Crying until there's no more tears to cry. because it can't be undone. It says they will knock on the door and say, Master, open to us. And they'll say, I don't know you. Depart from me. It's a place of gnashing of teeth. That word means anger. It was the same word used of those in the Sanhedrin when they stoned Stephen to death in Acts. They gnashed their teeth at him. It's anger. It's, It's people who find themselves in hell and shake their fist at God and say, God, how could you put me here? I hate you. Gnashing their teeth at God. But God is just. As C.S. Lewis said, hell is a door locked from the inside. People who rejected Christ all their lives, eventually God says, have it your way. You know, when, when you hear that, I hope it makes you feel how it made me feel when I was preparing this message. It breaks my heart. Nothing breaks my heart more than that so many people outside of these walls and and probably people in these walls might not be on the narrow way this morning. I have sat in countless prayer meetings, small group meetings, one-on-one meetings. I've been in that prayer room crying with people who have family members that are on the wide way who don't know Jesus And as much as I've talked about this morning that that we need to care for each other, love each other, pray for each other, we also need to love people who don't belong in our church right now or aren't here or who aren't saved. We need to love lost people. Do you have a heart that breaks for the lost? Does it bother you that people are on their way toward hell? We need to pray that they would come to know The only way, which is Jesus. We need to have hearts for the lost at Prairie Bible Church. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, Billy, I don't know which way I'm on. So how do you know that you know that you know that you're saved? Here's how it's really simple. You know the King. You know the King. You know Jesus. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Isn't that good news? I mean, on the flip side, hell is a terrible place. You never want to be there. But have you imagined how great heaven will be? Have you realized that someday if you belong to Jesus, every tear will be wiped from your eye, mourning will pass away, eternal joy, eternal getting to know God more and more? Have you, I mean, does that excite you? It excites me we who belong to Jesus can live with hope and let me tell you there was a time where i felt like i was on the wrong the wrong road the wide way and that conviction is good in fact it's a gift of god it's grace to wake us up out of our spiritual sleep and turn us onto the narrow way. And if that's you this morning, don't leave this place until you've entered by the only door. His name is Jesus. All you need to do is repent of your sin and embrace him on that cross. And you'll receive eternal life. Don't leave this place till you've done that.